The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Hello and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah to all the listeners. Uh, today I'll be your host, uh, Mujib, from Solicitors. I'm one of the solicitors there and we'll be focusing on the topic of disrepair. Uh, in terms of uh, dwelling properties and houses so uh, disrepair basically just reverts to the unreason- when we talk about the disrepair needed in a property we just we're just uh, focusing on the condition that is required legally for the house if that makes sense as in we do not uh, we do I mean, I've been to a few properties myself where you walk in and I wouldn't picture it as suitable or adequate living conditions for any human being. Uh, But again, uh, the law now sets out certain provisions, certain guidelines to be followed and certain uh, guidances in place to also to be followed in order to prevent people in living in such conditions now just repair claims are mostly made against landlords generically generally and they're always made against landlords or the landlords agents or housing associations now so by law these individuals like landlords agents housing associations etc are required to ensure that the property is kept in good repair uh, when this does not happen you may take action under the under section 4 of the defective premises act and section 11 of the landlord and tenants act these acts obviously cover all types of shorthold secure tenancies uh, or whether the property is owned by a private landlord, whether it's by a social landlord, a uh, social, social landlord can be a housing association uh, or a local authority, such as it could be Lutonborough Council, it could be Sanctuary Housing, uh, or it could also be a private landlord who can be a company himself or itself or even a private individual or individual landlord. A landlord is generally responsible for keeping a property in repair uh, and the landlord's responsibilities include the structure of the uh, the structure and the exterior of the home or the house or the property for example the walls the roofs the foundation the drainage the guttering uh, external pipelines the windows the external doors and fencing etc uh also uh sinks baths t- uh, baths toilets showers the water pipe work within the house the gas lines the water lines uh the electrical wiring again we've spoke about tenancy agreements before and we did cover this briefly so i'm just not gonna go into great detail and you could f- look up our previous podcasts and it's all covered there in detail as well uh, water tanks, it depends what boiler you got, if you've got an old water tank system, uh, boilers itself, the radiators, gas fires, 
if, if there's any electrical fireplaces fitted in or fitted heaters the landlord is responsible to make sure these things or these objects or structures are kept in good repair and good condition at all times are reasonable reasonable uh does not mean oh it just looks reasonable no reasonable meaning they work they work up to a, a good standard that they ought to work at and a landlord no matter how hard they try they can't actually remove themselves from such responsibilities and uh they can't even put a provision within the tenancy agreement to say you know i exclude any liability of my own from keeping the house in repair and legally it's the repair work i mean the most frequent question that's asked when it comes to tenants they'll say who's responsible for the financial burden implied by the repairs of the property is it me myself or is it my landlord now the answer to that is it's the landlord unless you and your landlord have an agreement where the landlord says you know what pay for the repairs for now and take it out next month's rent so in essence you're giving him less money because you've paid for the repairs so that you deduct the repairs from your rent monthly rent and you give them the remainder uh that's down that again is between the tenant and the landlord however the landlord is actually responsible for the financial burden of the repairs <coughs> so now the question arises when should the landlord make these repairs or fix these disrepair problems if we mention these to him now the thing is the landlord should uh, make these repairs or conduct these repairs as soon as he's notified as soon as he's aware that there's a problem so make sure as a tenant your job is to make sure you have told your landlord about any repairs that are needed so you as soon as you know there's repairs there's a wheel pipe leak or there's a pipe burst or anything like that or the guttering or the drain is blocked your job as a tenant or a tenant's job is to inform the landlord straight away and the landlord then the onus falls upon the landlord to make sure that it's dealt with accordingly and uh, effectively uh now obviously i don't mean uh i don't want tenants to get the wrong image and think okay We've spotted the repair, the disrepair, 12 o'clock at night, so our landlord needs to fix it straight away by 8 o'clock in the morning. No, you have to be realistic at the same time. Uh, we have to be reasonable. As a tenant, you'll have to be reasonable and understand, look, if it's a Sunday morning, there's no builders around or the builders are off or what have you, then you'll have to kind of make a recession and understand that, look, the landlord cannot get a builder until Monday, so you will sometimes have to bear the brunt. Uh, of everything uh, so it totally depends on the situation as well and the severity of the disrepair uh, but again as soon as the landlord is informed the onus is there uh, on the landlord to ensure that the re repairs are carried out and conducted in an effective and efficient manner now for tenancies that began on or after 
the middle of January in 1989. The repair responsibilities actually extend to the common parts of the building too. Uh, for example, uh, entrance halls, stairs and lifts uh, in cases where they're living in oh, flats, etc. So, yeah. Now, sometimes your house could be in such a bad disrepair condition. I know it's very unlikely and it's not something that you see every day uh in your day-to-day -day life but i assure you um as a solicitor working in the housing department you see this all the time where people are actually living in conditions that is just absurd it's just diabolical that it's kind of hard to even comprehend how a person could live in such conditions and Personally, from professional, from personal basis, I'm not talking as a professional here. I'm talking on a personal basis. Seeing some pictures of some places where these people live is, uh, I wouldn't say it's safe to live in such conditions. And personally, I wouldn't want anybody to live in those conditions. So, uh, if the home or the property isn't safe for anyone to live in. Uh, there's an act that's recently come around and that's the Homes Fitness and Human Habitation Act uh, 2018. Uh, it amends section 8 and 10 of the Landlord and Tenants Act uh, and adds uh, to it uh, so that the tenancy agreement be beginning after the commencement date that will be mentioned in the middle of January 1989 implicitly, uh, implicitly contains a covenant uh, that the dwelling must be fit for human habitation uh, at the commencement of the tenancy and will remain fit for human habitation during the lifetime of the tenancy and uh, it does not apply to tenancies which began before uh, then uh, Except for existing periodic tendencies, which also have all these um, new sections uh, annexed into the previous acts. So the ob obligation to ensure that the dwelling is and stays fit for human habitation even extends to all parts of the building to which the landlord has an interest, meaning the landlord of a flat has an interest in the hallway leading up to the flat he or, he, or he or she as the landlord or as the housing association have an interest in the lifts in the property they have an interest in the staircase leading to the floors of the property because obviously they're on the property itself uh, and also they have an interest in the retained parts, i.e. the external wall, the roof, the communal bin areas, if there are any, uh, the entrances, the whole entrance as we mentioned, the staircase uh, of the flats, the lifts in the flat, etc, etc. Now, in order to establish or determine whether the dwelling is fit for human habitation or not, uh there are few factors that 
should be considered as in firstly you need to look at the condition of the property is the property free from damp is there any water is there a water supply within the property is there adequate drainage and sanitary conveniences within the property is there adequate natural lighting and ventilation in the property now expert evidence from a surveyor including a surveyor employed by the landlord is sufficient in order to establish that as with the landlord's re uh, repairing obligations uh, the landlord will have a reasonable period of time once notified like i explained before you can't expect to tell your landlord say early mid morning or late morning on a sunday and expect him to get it done straight away you have to allow reasonableness there and ensure that you've given a reasonable amount of time for the landlord to act accordingly and according to the severity of the situation the landlord has to understand that the onus is upon the landlord to make sure the property's repairs are conducted as in if there's no water or lighting if the lighting's all of a sudden gone off it's now down to the landlord to make sure the lighting's back on because you can't live in a house without lighting it's not i mean it's not reasonable enough to consider to cons consider it adequate for human habitation um, now in terms of does this happen often uh the answer is yes and a no because sometimes you will get cases where the la the tenants have informed the landlord of the disrepair issues the landlord has not taken it upon himself to conduct the repairs so then that's when the tenant will now say look i need to instruct a solicitor to fight my corner for me and put my claim forward now again like i explained uh provided that the landlord has a reasonable period of time uh once notified uh that his property is in a state of repair in a state of disrepair and it's not fit for human habitation he has a reasonable amount of time or the landlord has a reasonable amount of time to put the rights of, uh to put right the defects and if the landlord fails to do so it's clear the tenant can sue for damages and bring forth a claim for disrepair And again, it's the responsibilities of a landlord to make sure that the home is fit enough for human habitation. Uh, and if a home might be considered unfit for human habitation, for example, when there's a serious problem of damp and mould, meaning they're going to be inhaling the odour or the kind of smell or if you like to say from the damp of the mold if it gets too hot or too cold like there's not sufficient insulation within the property or the insulation has gone poor what have you or it's overcrowded in cases where there's shared accommodation or a block of flats or if it's infested with pests such as rats cockroaches rodents etc and if the property does not have uh, a safe water supply it categorically does not matter if the problem started at the start of the tenancy 
but only appeared later on. Now it doesn't matter completely if it was started if it was there before the tendency began, upon the tendency beginning or during the tendency or just occurred towards whenever the obligation will always remain on the landlord and the landlord will have to fix these defects or repair these defects provided he is notified or they are notified and then the notification can be from anyone it could be from the tenant or even a visitor the condition is not that the tenant must notify the landlord it's whoever can soon the obligation is upon any man to kind of uh vouch to the landlord affiliated with the tenant that's possible as well now that's why it's important that as a tenant you inform your landlord of the disrepair at the earliest possible opportunity uh, now the obligation to repair is always going to remain with the landlord whether it's implied or express now just to talk briefly there's i've got case law in front of me but i don't want to go into great detail but there's this particular case just to give you an example now the tenant uh himself uh what he done was he notified the landlord so the no landlord was notified of different repairs the landlord ignored the notification uh but acknowledged it at the same time done nothing about it so this individual decided to take action against his landlord he put a claim against the landlord of uh, disrepair now in the possession proceedings so what they did what happened thereafter was the landlord tried evicting the property uh the victim the tenant at the property and getting back his property so he done a counterclaim of twenty two thousand pounds uh the court dismissed the county claim, uh, the counterclaim on the basis that they found to give that they um, failed to uphold or adhere to the notice of disrepair now so that just gives you a, like a little brief overview of the how disrepairs work now one must be thinking where do disrepair obligations actually come from disrepair obligations are actually contractual obligations in reality uh, the tenancy agreement may impose express obligations on the landlord on the tenant or on both to the extent that the express terms go beyond any implied term they will be binding on the parties however the express terms cannot without the authority of the court reduce or negate the repair uh, the repair obligations which have been put into place by statute on the landlord in accordance to in accordance to section 12 of the landlord and tenants act uh, 1985 now there's also common law implied terms 
Now, in terms of letting uh, furnished dwellings for in immediate occupation, is an implied term that the premises will be fit for human habitation at the start of the tenancy agreement. So it doesn't need to be explicitly mentioned, it will be ultimately implied that that should be the condition. Now, there's another case against Liverpool City Council and Mr. Irwin. The agreement ex itself imposed no obligation on the landlord to keep the common parts of the large block of flats, such as the lifts, stairs, lighting, lighting in the hallway, etc., in repair. But the court held that it is necessary to imply a contractual obligation on the landlord to take reasonable care to maintain those conditions in uh, those common parts in a state of reasonable repair and efficiency. Now, at the same time, the tenant had an implied obligation to use the premises in a tenant-like manner. Uh, there's an implied obligation. Uh, uh, there's an implied obligation on the tenant to allow the landlord access into the property to repair the property uh, to repair the defects as well. So, if the landlord needs property uh, access to your property. In order to rectify the disrepair issues within the property, as a tenant, one should grant them access. It is implied that you is an implied obligation upon a tenant to grant the landlord access. Now, according to such statutes uh, affiliated around this subject, uh, I spoke uh, and I've mentioned the Landlord and Tenants Act, uh, but there's certain implied terms. From this act, uh, namely section 11 of the act, which are implied into certain tenancies granted after the 23rd of October uh, 1961. Now, what are these? There's, an, uh, there's a contractual obligation on the landlord to keep in repair the structure and exterior of the dwelling houses, including drainage, gutters and external pipelines to keep in repair and proper working order the installations in the dwelling house for the supply of water, gas, electricity, sanitation and sanitation to keep in repair and property uh, property working uh, properly working order the installation in the dwelling house for space heating and heating water so that's basically what's implied by the uh, landlord and tenants act that these struct the structures in good repair the exterior of the dwelling house is always in good repair including the drainage gutters and external pipes they're always in working uh, working order to make sure the installation of the dwelling house such as the water supply gas electricity and sanitation is always in good repair and to keep in properly working order the installation of the dwelling house such as the heating and the hot water supply or the water system to make sure they're always running up and running properly and in an adequate manner. Now the provision also applied to all weekly, monthly and yearly periodic tenancies or even fixed term tenancies provided that the period one is was less than seven years. Now the statutory implied terms on the tenants also in accordance to section 
uh, 11 of the Landlord and Tenants Act. Now, these implied terms are that it implies that the tenant's agreement on uh, and the tenant agrees on an ab- obligation that the tenant will allow the landlord or any person authorized by him in writing to enter the rented property to view its condition and the state of repair. So if the landlord wants to get access to your property as a tenant, you should allow him access if he wants to inspect the property and see that everything's in working order. So that's the landlord's right over you as a tenant. Now, there is a condition the landlord cannot just walk and steam into somebody's house or just not knock on the door and say, yeah, I've come to check my property or yeah, I want to walk around or yeah, I've come to your house, you weren't at home, make sure you're home. He can't just ring you and say, yeah, I'm coming, don't go out. Uh, and f- the law will not allow that. So generally speaking, what happens is if the landlord wants access legally, he, there's a condition that he needs to meet. The landlord needs to give the tenant 24-hour notice uh, informing the tenant that the landlord will be there and the landlord will be expressing uh, arriving at a particular time to inspect his property. For example, if the landlord texts you 5 o'clock today, Single I'll be in 6 o'clock tomorrow, he's giving you what's legally considered sufficient law notice to get access into his property in order to inspect the condition of the property. And that's the right of the landlord over you as a tenant. Now, I think it's time for our break and uh, inshallah stay tuned with the Ask Your Lawyer show. And uh, once you return from the once we return from the break, we'll continue further inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Hello, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear listeners, and uh, welcome back to the Ask Your Lawyer show at Inspire FM. Uh, I'm your host for today, uh, Mujib of .com Solicitors, a solicitor of .com Solicitors. Uh, as I briefly mentioned, I uh, specialise in housing and civil litigation. And today we were talking about disrepairs. I will round off, towards the end I will take a couple of minutes and recap over everything that we've spoke about through the course of the last half an hour. Uh, now, however, moving forward for those that have been listening from the beginning, and uh, they are also s- we covered the last point we covered was the s- common law implied terms of the common law imp- uh, obligations when it comes to disrepairs and who the onus falls upon. Now, <coughs> there's also obligations in tort. Now. An obliga- the obligation in tort does not generally give a tenant the right to require repairs to be carried out, where they sometimes provide a remedy for uh, any injuries or damages suffered as a result of the disrepair of the properties. Uh, now, that's briefly mentioned in the Occupiers Liability Act uh, 1957. Uh, the section, section 2 of the Act uh, expresses, and I'll just put it in a nutshell, uh, suggests that the landlords have a c- common duty to take care of such uh, repairs in all the circumstances of the case uh, 
and if it's reasonable to see that the visitor will be reasonably safe in using the premises for the purpose for which he is permitted to be there uh, so the occupiers liability act will also cover uh, under the obligation in tort any visitors that you have visiting you in your property so if they're injured or they suffer uh, as a consequence of the state of disrepair of the premises then your landlord is also held responsible on their on their behalf now the moving swiftly forward because as we know there's Maghribadan coming up as well so we'll have to round off uh, at some point in the next 20 minutes or so the def- there's uh, we also brief- briefly mentioned previously the defective premises act uh, now the defective premises act requires that your landlord owes you a de- uh, duty of care which is also obviously set out within the act itself and the duty of incl- uh, uh, care includes uh, a duty to prevent personal injury or damages to uh, damage to the property caused by defects in your home so your landlord has that duty and has the onus upon himself and the landlord owes the tenant a duty of care to ensure that the disrepair isn't there's no disrepairs there because you know god forbid maybe through maybe due to the disrepairs it could it could cause like as in mold in the walls can cause a little child can uh can cause a little child asthma or breathing difficulties and suffocation etc or we can moving forward if the property is in a state of despair and the windows are not good or anything like that i mean winter months can get extremely cold uh it gets extremely cold in the winter that could result in a person receive uh, get catching pneumonia or anything of the sort so obviously the landlord owes your duty of care and all the onus is upon the landlord to prevent such things uh happening because again obviously i can't i'm not going to say just because you get pneumonia it's because of your landlord no as in if it's caused through the disrepairs then the onus is upon the landlord uh and the, then the duty is also owed to you your family your friends and visitors that come to your home to visit you uh, this is all covered within the act and the duty is owed because your landlord is under an obligation to repair and to maintain your home and the landlord also has a right to enter the property to carry out the maintenance work on repairs as mentioned previously please there is a condition on that and that condition for a tenant is only that the only condition that the tenant needs to know that the landlord has to feel that the landlord needs to give you 24 hours notice upon 24 hours notice the landlord is allowed to get entry into his property their property the land uh, the duty is owed if the landlord knows again this is another condition the duty is only owed if the landlord knows or have ought to know or foreseen or have knowledge of the repairs even if you d- haven't told your landlord so if you haven't told your landlord and it's obvious that the landlord knew or should have known or could foresee this happening or this repair is due then that's sufficient but again it's the owners generally what we always advise our clients okay if they come in and say we haven't told our landlord we say look don't assume because in law 
uh, and in legal terms on legal situations we do not base our judgment and our work on assumptions so legally sitting in a courtroom i mean i'm just giving a hypothetical situation and if you attend and you say to a judge yeah i didn't tell my landlord you brought forth the land claim of disrepair and the judge's first question is going to be did you inform your landlord you say no because he obviously should have known i'm so sorry but to a judge that's not a sufficient application uh, sufficient explanation uh the judge nine times out of ten will not take that as an adequate response to be fair uh so we always do advise our clients please just inform your landlord it's not going to harm you uh just get into contact with the landlord and let him know before any taking any matters further now there's certain procedures thereafter that sh have to be complied with and followed such as the civil procedure for civil claims and in accordance with the pre-action protocol it actually explains the conduct and sets out the steps that the court would normally expect the parties to take before commencing to a claim or proceedings for a particular type of civil claim so there is also a pre-action protocol uh, for housing disrepairs, so I know a lot of you probably heard about the pre-action protocol for personal injury But there's also a pre-action protocol for housing uh, You can get access to that for those who really want to spend the time reading through a bunch of legal uh, wording and uh, legal procedures uh, You could get access to it on the Ministry of Justice website, I believe uh, Google it, it'll come up, it'll take you through a .gov UK link and eventually you'll find it Now the aims of the protocol are pretty easy and pretty fair It's to avoid any unnecessary litigation Promote uh, speedy and appropriate uh, carrying out of any repairs which are the landlord's responsibilities ensure that the tenants receive any compensation to which they are entitled as soon as possible and promote good pre-litigation practice uh, meaning letters back and forth uh, mediations uh, mediations etc and this also includes the early exchanges of information. So as the defendant solicitor, you'll be saying, my client didn't know this. This is our proof. This is the exact bits we got together. As a claimant solicitor, you'll be doing the same thing. These are my client's instructions. This is our exhibits. This is what our client's account is, etc. And try, you generally will say try according to the pre-action protocol for housing you should try to resolve a matter before or without a court hearing now although most claims are brought by the tenant upon the landlord uh, the pre-action uh, pre protocol for housing is not just limited by that it, cov uh, it covers claims by any person with disrepair claim including tenants leases leases uh, leases and uh, members of the tenant's family uh, visitors of the tenant and the use of the word tenant in the uh, protocol covers all such people it's just not a tenant himself uh, who claims uh, who claims within the pre-action protocol 
Now the pre-action protocol also covers all claims or all conditions that are set out in section 11 of the Landlord and Tenants Act and section 4 of the Defective Premises Act. Any common law nuisances and negligence and those brought under the express terms of the tenancy agreements or lease. Uh, it does not, however, cover claims brought under Section 82 of the Environmental uh, Environment Protection Act. Uh, and claims under that act are obviously uh, heard in the magistrate's court. So your best bet would be going to a criminal law solicitor. Uh, and I know we have frequent solicitors coming in from... Uh, Liberty Law Solicitors and Wolf and Co Solicitors uh, covering various criminal law aspects and immigration aspects also. So, I mean, uh, if you have a question about that, uh, Environmental Protection Act or want to know how it's interlinked, by all means you could always speak to them and ask them to enlighten you. Now, now, as mentioned, uh, what the aims, as we mentioned, the aims of the pre-action protocol for housing. As a solicitor, we would advise our client to consider alternative dispute resolutions and its procedures would be more suitable than litigation. And if so, uh, tr try to agree which form to use. Now, the reason we say that is sometimes better, we always advise our clients, uh, it's sometimes better and cheaper to l settle before he the hearing itself takes place because after the hearing, it's costly business, even on a financial term. Uh, it can be very costly. So we always advise that it's settled out of court and as swiftly, as quickly as possible. Now, if it does get to court, both the landlord and the tenant will be required by the court to provide evidence that alternative means of resolving the dispute were considered and taken into consideration. Uh, it cannot just be like we always say to our clients, you cannot just walk in through the door and say, no, I'm just going to take him to court or take them to court and I don't give a damn. Unfortunately, it's not that easy because the first question more or less will be or the court will want to see what actions have been taken pre-hearing so has there been an offer made has there been any talk of settlement has there been any chance of a mediation meeting have you tried uh, any forms of adr uh now if you have exercised all the avenues can't come to common ground ends up in the court and the court is satisfied and you can prove to the court that reasonable measures and steps were taken then it's okay uh it's going to be sufficient for you but if you can't then unfortunately the court might order you to or adjourn the hearing and say go back and consider alternative dispute resolutions now the courts will always consider litigation to be the last result and that the that claim should not be issued while a settlement is still actively uh, being explored so a claim should not be issued as in you shouldn't issue court proceedings if 
you're still trying to explore certain avenues and trying to come to certain settlements. Now, the courts, the parties, the landlord and the should be aware that the court will take into account the extent of the party's compliance with this protocol when making orders about who should pay the costs. So whoever complies with the orders is less likely to get the costs in essence. Now, a tenant's letter of claim that more than likely in a disrepair, well, not more than likely, in a disrepair claim when we're acting for the tenant or when a housing solicitor is going to be acting for a tenant, the first thing after obviously the procedure steps have been carried out, such as the client care, the letter of authorities and etc. The first thing we'd write to the landlord is a letter of claim of disrepair. Now, the tenants are required and should send a letter of claim of disrepair to the landlord at the earliest reasonable opportunity. Now, again, a letter of claim for disrepair you can find on the internet. If you Google search it, it'll come on the gov.uk website or it'll be on a relevant legal website or government body's website on I think you get access to it through the Ministry of Justice pool as well uh, if I remember correctly now the letter may be suitably adapted as appropriate so the letter that you'll find the president online can be adapted and can be changed to suit your needs now the letter claim should contain certain details and I've listed out here for your information, some of the details that should be within the letter. The letter should contain the tenant's name, the address of the property, the tenant's address if the tenant has left the property, and the tenant's telephone number and when he's accessible to talk or they're accessible to talk. Detailed Descriptions of the defects on the property included outstanding defects uh, and that'll be in also found online and you'll find a specimen of the schedule online which you could always amend and adhere to add and subtract to history of the defects and how they started and if there's been any attempts by the landlord to rectify these defects. And also details of any notifications previously given to the landlord in terms of informing him of the conditions of the disrepair. Uh, now that being said, the effects and of the defects on the tenants, uh, tenant here meaning the tenant, the tenant's family, tenant's visitors, etc. And the identities of all other persons who plan to make a personal injury claim and brief details of their personal injury claim. So if there is any visitors or family members that have suffered personal injuries from subject to the disrepairs, then details of how they suffered the injuries and what they suffered should be disclosed. And details of any special damages, again you can find a schedule of special damages online. Uh, the proposed expert, if there was a proposed expert surveyor who went into the properties, 
to establish that it was in a state of despair and it was not fit for human habitation and and also the letter of instruction that was sent to the expert to who surveyed the property and uh, moving forward the tenant now these let's just finish off here because uh, we're running out of time as well now these are the basics of what should be included in the letter of claim <laughs> however the letter of claim like i said you'll find the president for it online uh if you just google search it it'll come up uh, now that itself to be fair is just the basic core of what a person can can include in the letter of claim for disrepair however like i mentioned previously you will be adding and subtracting from it and to be honest uh, in most in 99.9 cases you'll probably just be adding to it and then you'll issue that letter of claim and you'll give the landlord sufficient amount of time to respond to you once the landlord responds to you the landlord obviously under the free action protocol has 51 days to reply and once the landlord replies you don't take it further but the landlord suggests that he wants to settle the landlord suggests he wants to carry on with the back and forth writing litigating pre-litigating uh, back and forth uh writing and pre-litigation etc now then the final call would be obviously what you get when both of you are out of the tunnel what result you get whether you decide that you have settled or not now today we've covered quite a bit however we've not covered the whole of this repair we've only covered a third to be fair so we will revisit this topic there will be a part two of this repair and in part two of this repair we'll finish off the whole topic in its entirety and just to basically go over the general overview before i finish off today uh we spoke about disrepairs and we went over who has the rights of disrepair and what obligations and rights are carried by whom and who the owners goes upon and we kind of briefly explained what is this repair what needs to be kept in good uh repairable uh, good conditions uh in accordance to the law we went over the ten landlord and tenants act we went over the defective properties act we went over the home fitness uh for human habitations act also which is all included within the topic of disrepair we also went over the pre-action protocol for housing disrepair also and like i said uh earlier the general responsibility of ensuring that all disrepairs are up to date and all repairs are conducted within the property fall upon the landlord themselves however there are two conditions that are to be met by the tenant uh one is to allow the landlord access into the property and notify the landlord of the disrepairs now when it comes to the landlord getting access to the property it's not just him knocking on the door as explained legally the landlord has to notify the tenant uh with a 24-hour notice which could even be a text or a phone call or even a letter posted through the letterbox thereafter after 24 hours 
the tenant has to comply with the law and the legal regulations and allow the landlord uh, access into the property. Now, thank you for your time today. Again, once again, I'll apologize that we couldn't finish the whole segment of today. So there will be a disrepair part two. Uh, inshallah, I'm hoping that that'll be in our next session. And thereafter, we are going to cover homelessness because a few brothers surprisingly i haven't told the brothers in the studio have seen me outside and said look we want you to cover homelessness so inshallah that will be our next topic after we finish this repair and inshallah assalamu alaikum and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening assalamu alaikum thank you for listening to our podcast why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton